Well, good morning, St. Aldate's friends at home across many, many different parts of Oxford, Oxfordshire, and the nation of the nations. It's uh, a privilege to be with you this morning. My name's Mark. Let's come together in prayer before we consider the word. Lord, we've been singing about how we don't want our faith to be formed by our feelings. We know that our feelings are important to you, but they are not everything. And so, Lord, we pray that at this time when our feelings perhaps feel subdued or where we're experiencing anxiety, that as we consider your word, we would stand on the truth of your gospel. We would lift our eyes to you and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you're a glass half full or a glass half empty person, but sometimes it just feels like our glass is completely empty or that we're drinking from the dregs. Morrison's supermarket chain announced this week that over Christmas their champagne sales jumped to 64%. But however much fizz you enjoyed over the Christmas season. There is a time when the fizz runs out. There was a time in our house this Christmas where the fizz ran out and we went to the cupboard and we found a a bottle of wine, red wine, that was kind of at the back. We weren't quite sure how long it had been there. It said private bin on it and our hearts leapt. This could be good news. But when we opened it, it was a disaster and the private bin bottle had to go in the kitchen bin. Sometimes we struggle, and I've spoken this week to people who are struggling with their mood, who are struggling with a sense of lack of horizon, lack of work opportunity, who simply feel, my cup is empty. Parents who are seeking to juggle the demands of homeschooling and working from home as well who perhaps feel, I'm simply drinking from the dregs. We heard this morning from Monique Davison, who is attached to the JR Hospital. We asked, how are things there? She said, not good. We were spared last time, but not this. The hospital is full, ICU is oversubscribed, and there is no end in sight. Many staff are tiring. Right at the start of this new year, you may already be feeling spiritually exhausted. It's really hard to be putting out energy in our lives and yet not to receive from the joy of interaction with others. It's one thing to speak to you this morning through a camera lens, but I just long for the day when we can all gather here again and see each other face to face. And there's a poignancy, of course, as we look at a scripture about a wedding this morning, at a time when we're not allowed to have full weddings, only small ones, when in-person sung worship is not possible in community, when many are feeling delayed from being able to pursue the kind of relationships that might lead to weddings because of lockdown number three. And yet this is a text which is all about need, profound need. It's about a time when the wine runs out. 
when people's resources at this wedding are exhausted. It's about a crisis. It's about a time when there's a lack of the wine of joy. And maybe this morning you feel, my tank's just running on empty. Well, I trust and I pray that this scripture will speak to you as a spiritually weary person at this time. Because it's in our need, in that place, that Jesus meets us at the beginning of this account in John's Gospel. And the first thing I want to say, if we could have the painting up on the screen, this is a painting by the 16th century Italian painter Veronese, called The Wedding at Cana. It uh, is not a very Middle Eastern scene, it's more Venetian. But do you know what? There are 130 figures crowding that canvas. And right at the center of it, if I can get my clicker to work, but it's not clicking, so if we could just move on to the next slide, Toby. Right at the middle of this image, there is Jesus Christ sitting. Veronese has placed him, probably not where he would be, in reality, but he's placed him where he demands and deserves to be in this spiritually real context, right at the center. And God does not want us to be distracted by the 129 other figures in the canvas, glorious as they are to look at. He wants us to keep Christ as his, our center. Yesterday, we were praying for this service, and two people, fascinatingly, had the same word from Isaiah chapter 26. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast, because he trusts in you. We need to keep our minds focused on Christ at this time. And so let's come to him in this passage and start with what does Jesus see? What do Mary and Jesus see before them? Well, they see a seven-day wedding feast. These sometimes still happen in Orthodox Jewish communities. It's a time when students would suspend their studies and rabbis would stop fasting and the whole community would gather. It's almost certainly taking place in the bridegroom's residence, which he has built onto his father's house and where he's now brought his bride. And John is engaged in a piece of masterly storytelling because at the beginning of our account, there is actually no sign of the bridegroom or the steward of the feast. And it's telling that they're not there because the truth is they're probably lying low. They're hiding. John, our narrator, is averting his eyes just as everyone else is because this is a Middle Eastern culture of honor and shame. And the bridegroom is meant to provide enough wine for a seven-day community celebration. And yet, as we hear, the wine has gone. The wine has run out. And so this is a situation of social stigma. It's the bridegroom's responsibility and fault. There is shame in the air, perhaps subdued discontent. There's nothing worse, is there, than a spoiled party. But there's not just social stigma because John's account is full of other echoes. The shame that threatens to descend on the bridegroom here echoes an earlier shame in Eden 
when a bride and bridegroom hid in shame from the very God that they had been walking with in glory. Adam says there, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They retreated into a place of shame. And Jewish texts actually speak of that time in Eden as a time when Adam lost the glory, lost the glory that had come through being like God and of how all human beings since that time have been drawn into that fate. Shame. When we feel that something isn't right about us, when we feel that there's just something wrong and that we need to hide. I had this for years growing up. I sometimes have it still. Shame of being short. Shame of being small. But there are many types of shame. Not having the words not having the social graces, stigmatized by your class or your color or your lack of education, never having had much money in your life, not having courage in a formative situation in childhood. Shame is sometimes a result of our failing, but sometimes it's just put upon us by others, by our broken world. Those who suffer abuse are often driven into a place of hiding and shame. It's that feeling that we internalize that something just isn't right and isn't right about us. And we're all touched by this not-rightness at the heart of creation. It's in the very air at the moment. Jen, my wife, and I cycled through Oxford on Friday on my day off, and it just felt like there was a thick blanket of oppression over the city. Joy had been stolen. So this is what Mary and Jesus see. This is what they sense. Because a wedding in Jewish culture at this time isn't just about a community celebration for a particular couple. A wedding symbolizes God's redemptive purposes for the people of Israel. Something, though, is wrong here and now in this situation. There's a crack in creation. And yet God isn't content to leave this community there, and he's not content to leave you or I there. God's heart is always to run to us in our need. Just as we see referenced behind me in this painting of Rembrandt and the father coming to the prodigal son. Jesus doesn't choose this moment, but the moment chooses him, and his heart can't resist He's going to turn around this couple's situation entirely. He's going to take them from a place of shame to a place of glory. There would have been a stigma on this couple for the rest of their life if the wine situation hadn't been solved. And yet instead, they're going to be talked about in glory to the end of their days. What the first Adam lost in Eden, the second Adam, Jesus, is going to restore. So that's the first thing. He sees. He sees us. He sees our needs. And then he acts. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Consider what Mary is doing here. She's speaking with honesty. 
She's carried the saviour of the world in her womb. And yet at this moment, she's admitting her emptiness. We're a modern people. We're a modern culture. We're defined by achievement and success and status and technology. And it's really hard for us to admit our emptiness. And yet many of us at the moment are feeling in lockdown three, the wine's run out and I'm empty. We have to ask for help as Mary does to her son. That is the precondition of God pouring out his miraculous power. And when we were again praying in relation to this service yesterday, interestingly, two people had a sense of the word voltage, voltage, that God is going to turn up the voltage through his Holy Spirit this year, that this is going to be a season where the Spirit is going to move in greater power You may feel overwhelmed by your circumstances this morning, but they can be overcome. They won't be overcome, though, if you fear being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And what God wants to say to you this morning, we believe, is that you can conduct more voltage than you think, and you need it in this season. But note what happens here after Mary has asked Jesus to intervene. The voltage doesn't increase through some kind of spiritual pyrotechnics going on in the space. People falling giddily under the spirit. No, it proceeds through simple acts of obedience. Jesus doesn't turn to the bridegroom or the steward or the guests or even the disciples. But he turns to the humblest people present, the servants, and there to be our model of how to follow Jesus in this crisis. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Jesus speaks his word into the emptiness of this situation and the need of Mary. And then the servants respond with faith-filled obedience. Jesus wants the jars the ceremonial jars to be filled right to the brim so that there will be more new wine after the time of transformation. He doesn't stint, he doesn't hold back, he doesn't limit things in any way. He'll send the fire, but we need to get involved through obedience and partnering with him. And again, there's massive resonance going on here for John's readers in terms of the divine kindness that God's displaying here. Right at the start of Jesus' ministry, John is depicting Jesus' first sign, his first miracle at a wedding. But in Eden too, in Jewish thought, there'd been an earlier wedding of consequence. Rabbinic texts speak of God coming to bless Adam and Eve at their wedding in the Garden of Eden. Listen to this. The Holy One, blessed be he, said to the ministering angels, come, let us descend and render acts of love to the first man and his wife. For the world rests upon acts of love. And the ministering angels went to and fro 
dancing before Adam. Isn't that beautiful? The world rests upon acts of love. God blesses Adam and Eve at their joining in Eden, and now he blesses this couple through Jesus in the transformation of water into wine. Jesus is the true bridegroom here, expressing his love for us, his people, his church, for you at home today. And then the end of the Bible, of course, speaks of the wedding supper of the Lamb. When Jesus, the bridegroom, will sit with us, the spotless bride, and he'll feast and he'll drink with us and we with him. Jesus wants to bless you. I heard this week about a conductor of an orchestra, a person with great authority when he's on the conducting dais, the platform. And he was asked a question about why some conductors have authority in front of the orchestra and some don't. And he said he wasn't sure, but that he always did one thing when he got onto the podium before he lifted the baton. He paused and he silently blessed the orchestra. And only then did he lift the baton to conduct. Well, Jesus is always blessing us and then always lifting the baton to act again and again and again. Are you ready to admit your emptiness today? And are you ready to receive Jesus' blessing? So he sees, he acts, and then finally, he reveals his glory. Because we're in the season of Epiphany, and the wedding at Cana is one of the great Epiphany scriptures. It comes from the Greek word Epiphany, epiphanero, combination of epi meaning intense, huge, full, and phanero meaning a manifestation or revelation. In other words, there's a mighty unveiling going on here at this wedding. God's glory is bursting forth. His glory, that word that in Scripture means his radiance, his glory, his weight, his majesty, the very essence of who he is. And glory, the thing about the glory of God, it always overflows. There's always more of it than is technically necessary. I worked out with an Oxford wine merchant how much wine Jesus creates here at this wedding. Do you know, in terms of the gallon specification that we get on the jar, we calculated that he creates 7,000 glasses of finest wine. Perhaps the Oxford wine seller said Chateau Margaux, 1994. So there isn't enough wine simply for this wedding feast. There is enough wine here to keep this community fully satisfied for years to come. Have you ever felt the presence of heaven? Have you ever said of an experience, it was like heaven? Oh, that, that was just heavenly. Well, that is the atmosphere 
that is breaking forth here. And the Lord wants his glory to be known. He actually wants it to be tasted in this context. And when you have an experience like this, you never forget it. When you taste God's glory, you remember it for the rest of your life. We sense that the steward of the banquet, when he's brought this wine, can't actually believe what he's drinking. He wouldn't expect a vintage like this of the bridegroom. So Jesus is the new Adam. He's the true bridegroom, come to reveal his glory and his overflowing love to the whole of humanity. He turns the situation of shame into glory. Shame is all about being in hiding. God's glory is all about a dazzling, shining forth. And this is why John can say of Jesus in John 1, verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me give you three quick pictures of this transformation from shame into glory. The first one, a historic example. Famous Cornish preacher, Billy Bray. He was an alcoholic miner. And then one day, the uh, mine ceiling collapsed. And for the first time, Billy Bray took an interest in God. He subsequently prayed to God and surrendered his life to him. He writes... The Lord made me so happy in that moment that I cannot express what I felt. I shouted for joy. I spent the greater part of my time in praising the Lord. And Billy Bray was a man who couldn't stop praising the glory of God. He used to walk the streets shouting and singing, glory, glory, glory. And when people complained, he would say this, if they were to put me in a barrel... I would shout glory out through the bunghole. And when he died on his deathbed, his final word, glory. That's my first picture of God's glory. My second one, a brother in Christ who I came to faith with at roughly the same time in London, just slightly after him. He was a busy, professional, working man, but he'd been mired in prostitution, in the use of female prostitutes. And he was just covered with shame by that. And yet, he came to Christ. I remember the, the time when the Holy Spirit came on him in power and he, he literally collapsed down the side of one of the church pillars under the weight of God's glory. And there I was, sometime later, standing, watching him with a radiant face, at his own wedding. And then thirdly, myself, a couple of years ago, at a new wine conference in Harrogate, I'd gone there feeling wretched. There had been a, a scandal in the leadership of new wine. I didn't really want to go to this conference. It was the first afternoon. I was wishing I was back in Oxford. And yet, after a particular talk, I went forward to receive ministry. And as I worshipped, God just opened the heavens. I've never known anything like it, and I just felt the glory of eternity shining down. An amazing 
transforming experience. Because when the best wine comes, it often comes in a time of crisis. And the best wine isn't just about things being restored to kind of how they were. God's redemption is always A+. It's A+. I was speaking to Charlie recently, our former rector, a man with over 40 years of ministry experience. And I was asking him about some of the highlights of his time in ministry. And he talked again and again and again about his experience of going into worshipping communities where one could sense one was walking into the glory of God. And you could rest in that. That's what we want to be here at St. Aldate's. We want to be a house in which everyone can experience and dwell in the glory of God. So Jesus not only saves the bridegroom and the bride here from shame, he blesses everyone. At his baptism, God tears the heavens and the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus. And now in this first decisive act of his ministry, Jesus tears the heavens and God's abundance comes forth. You may feel at the moment that the party has been interrupted. But the party will start again, however much it feels like we're in wilderness right now. And Jesus doesn't want it to be back to the same type of party with the same type of wine as before. He wants it to be an A-class event and celebration with A-class wine. A heavenly variety. So I want to suggest to you as I invite the band back, we need fresh encounter with God's glory at this time. You and I, we need to be able to access God's glory afresh. And how do we do that? Whether it's for ourselves or for others, because maybe today, actually, your heart is simply bursting for people who are in need, who've got covid or who are frontline workers in emergency situations, or who are without work. You know people who are struggling perhaps in their marriages. People who can't have a proper experience of university or school in a social sense. Well, if you're feeling like that, that is the heart of Jesus in this passage. Join your heart with him and pray with him. But how do we access that glory if we could have our Veronese painting back? First of all, we look to him. In the painting by this 16th century Italian artist, there are two places in the picture where the uh, objects or the people are angled directly out towards us as we look at the screen. The first one is... The wine, the new wine that is being poured out. Veronese really wants us to experience that new wine of abundance flowing forth towards us. And then the figure of Jesus, the next image, right at the center, looking directly at us. We need to keep Jesus in the center. Secondly, we need to tell him that the wine has run out and we need to ask for his help. Thirdly, we listen for his instructions and for how he's guiding us. Fourthly, we obey them 
like those servants did. And fifthly, when we experience the abundant wine, we give Jesus the glory, as John does at the end of his account. But the first move that I talked about is the biggest step for many. If we can have up the image of Charlie Mackesy that follows. It can be really hard for us as independent people to ask for help. But that is where Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, begins in this passage. And it's a cry for help that we should have no shame about making ourselves today. So come to him today. We're going to enjoy this agape feast now, remembering Christ through bread and wine. But let me pray before Christopher begins to lead us in that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the goodness and the abundance that you bring us. And we thank you that you are a saviour of miracles. And we pray, Lord, for miracles in this season. We pray for miracles of provision, miracles of blessing. And we come against unbelief. We stand in faith. Help us to ask and listen and obey and to know your glory. In Jesus Christ, amen.